The psalmist writes in Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. That was the prayer of Aaron, the blessing of Aaron. That you may be known, this is the purpose for Him making His face shine on us, that you may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. You get the picture, the agricultural picture? The earth is putting forth a bountiful harvest for God. The earth has given its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. Is that not your hope? That's my hope. That's the only hope I know that will carry us through storms in this life is that the earth will yield its increase and that we will join the chorus of all the nations in giving God praise. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, we come before you through your word and through your son and in your spirit, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you, not simply as mighty and powerful, though you are, But we have the opportunity to worship you as our creator, as our king. We have the opportunity to praise you as our priest, as our prophet. We have the opportunity to praise you as the one who is merciful and good. We have the opportunity today to praise you and worship you as the one who is faithful and kind, just and long-suffering. We could go on and on, Father, in just ascribing to you your worth because you are worthy. But God, now as we go into your word and we look at the truth which you have left that is so clearly written in your word, we ask that you would now help us, go with us, strengthen us, and give us your wisdom. Speak to us now. You are our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, you know, you, uh, you get to familiar texts and people, I think that it's easy to start to think, well, that's an easy text, you know, to preach. But really, the truth is, the more familiar the text is to you and your audience, the, the more difficult often it is to preach because uh, it's instinctive for us with texts like Psalm 23, John 3:16, these cornerstone texts that we all know. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, and all of these texts to just, just read them and uh, recite them like rote memory and pass on. And it's even easy to do that in a sermon. And so uh, it's not the easiest text to preach, but it is probably the most familiar passage in, in the Bible. People learn it, people memorize it, people recite it in times of trouble, and it brings a very peaceful uh, feeling. John Piper said when he was in Germany from 1971 to 1974, um, studying for his doctorate, from his house to his, his uh, school, every day, there and back, he recited Psalm 23 uh, in German. It was to help him in ger- to learn his German, but more than that, this was the one place in the Bible where when he just simply said the words, his soul found peace. And it does that for you, doesn't it? When you hear it, it's like uh, snuggling up next to a fire. It's like coming in out of the cold and getting that warmth all over. It's, it's, it's like a familiar um, best friend to us. And that, it's intended to be that way. It is a pastoral psalm. It is the psalm of the Good Shepherd. We, we learned <clears throat> last week that the, the Good Shepherd had to suffer. Before we could know Him in the valley of the shadow of death, He passed through the valley of the shadow of death for us. And He conquered that for us. And so that gives us hope in this, in this psalm as we look at it. So we looked at the psalm of the cross last week, and now we look at the psalm of the shepherd's crook this week. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Familiar words, but powerful words. Words that bring comfort, bring life. First of all, I want us to see in the very first verse that Yahweh, which this psalm, this psalm is addressed about Yahweh. You notice the Lord is all caps here in this text. Yahweh is a personal shepherd. First of all, we see that he is a personal shepherd. Now, if you look at that first verse, how do we know that he's a personal shepherd? How do we know it? The Lord is my shepherd. Think about that. He's not simply a shepherd. He's not simply the shepherd of an entire nation. He's not simply a shepherd of all the peoples of the earth. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. The personal pronoun, my, is the emphasis of the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. We see this idea of God as a shepherd in other texts. I want you to look at Psalm 77 with me. We won't get there in our study of the Psalms this time. But look at Psalm 77. The writer here, of, it's Asaph, it's, it's, it's not David, but he says the same thing about the Lord. In Psalm 77 verse 20. Here he's talking about God as shepherd to the people of Israel. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So here, the psalmist refers to God actively in the, verb, in the verbal phrase, you led them like a flock. We know he doesn't say you're a shepherd to Israel, but he, that's exactly what he's saying, right? By his action. You led Israel like a shepherd by the hand of Moses and Aaron. In 78, Asaph says in 78.52, uh, if you look just a couple pages over, Then he led out his people, talking about God, like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Again, the action of God as a shepherd is being shown forth with his relationship with Israel. God is his people's shepherd. He led them by the hands of Moses and Aaron. God is his people's shepherd. He led them in the wilderness. He carried them like a flock through the wilderness. Isaiah, if you just flip over to Isaiah, it's not just in the Psalms that we see him as a shepherd, but look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Start in verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's a very tender and affectionate verse talking about the Lord's leadership of his flock again and the things that he will do for them. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. It's an idea of affection and care and concern for each and every lamb there and gently lead those that are with young. He will not push the mothers too hard as they have little ones that are nursing. He'll be gentle and compassionate towards them. This is an idea of gentleness and compassion of the shepherd who will lead his flock. And the Lord's being talked about here. So, what's the distinguished about Psalm 23? I mean, in those other texts, in Psalm 77, he leads his people like a flock. In Psalm 78, he 
led his people like a flock through the wilderness. In Psalm 40, verse 11, when he, he's coming and when he comes, he will lead the people like a shepherd leads his flock. He will care for the lambs and he will be gentle with those that need gentleness. But all of those texts, as true as they are, as real as they are, are not personal. In the other places, we see him referred to as a shepherd of an entire flock. But David talks about him as my shepherd. And that's what makes this psalm so astounding. That's what makes it really make us feel warm and connected, isn't it? Is that when we say these words, we're not talking about Israel, the nation. And we're not talking about our neighbors and our friends. And we're not talking about the Christians around the world. When we say this psalm, we're talking about God's relationship with us. We're talking about God's love for us. We're talking about God's compassion for us. Psalm 23 stands out as one of the most personal texts on God's leadership of His people. The Lord is my shepherd. And so I just have to ask you, is it true? I mean, it's all nice to sit in a congregation like this, around a bunch of people that are friends and companions and acquaintances and people you might not know or you may know or you think you know them. And to sit in here in an anonymous way and say, oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd, but I want to know, is he your shepherd? It doesn't matter if he's your friend's shepherd. It matters if he's your shepherd. He's not everybody's shepherd. David says with absolute confidence and assurance, the Lord is my shepherd. But I'm not so certain that all of us can say that. And that's where we really meet face to face with this passage is in its personal nature. He's not looking to be an unknown shepherd to an unknown flock. He is a known shepherd to a known flock. The Lord is, is my shepherd. And I want to tell you, if he's not your shepherd, Psalm 23 should not bring you any comfort. Nothing he's saying here is being said in a general way to the world. As a matter of fact, as a very well-known psalm, it's also a very much abused psalm. Because when you die, if your forethought goes this far, you'll write down for a pastor to preach about you or a person, a friend to speak over you. And so often, lost men and women say, before, you, before they put my cask in the ground, I, it'd be good, they need to read Psalm 23. How many movies have we seen where the mobster dies in the mob fight? And the priest stands over the casket at the burial ground and does what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not true, is it? It's not true of lost people. When they die, they don't have a shepherd. They're scattered. They are lost. They are abused. They are judged. So I just want you to know at the very beginning of this, you can get all warm and fuzzy and be sentimental about this passage, but the reality is this is a passage of a personal shepherd to his sheep. And it is the response of his sheep to the personal shepherd. It is Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Some will come before me on that day, and I will tell them, Depart from me, because I never knew you and they said but Lord we preached in your name and we we prophesied we preached in your name we did miracles in your name we did many mighty works in your name and he will say I never knew you that word knew is not an idea of knowledge because God knows everybody and everything that word is a relationship term. In the Bible, when it says he knew them, it's the same word used in the, in the Old Testament of the intercourse that takes place between a man and a woman when they conceive a child. Adam knew his wife, and they bore a son, and they named him Seth. Over and over and over again, that word knowledge or knew, is, it speaks to intimate knowledge. 
So what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 is not that people will come and, and, and Jim will come up in front and say, and, and Jesus will say, you know what, I didn't even know who you were. You really existed? Well, I'm sorry, but you're out. No. It's the words of a personal shepherd looking at someone who is not his sheep and saying, I don't, you're not mine. I don't have any relationship with you. Some of you treat this text the way football fans treat their football stars. Just because I'm an Alabama fan, I'll play the game the other way. So let's just say that Bo Jackson comes home to Alabama and he chooses to visit Grace Fellowship. When he walked in that door, there's not a red-blooded American male over the age of 30 that won't know who that man is. Right? And you can go to him and you can say, Mr. Jackson or Bo, you are awesome. You are so good. I tell you, you did this and you did that and you got this accomplishment and you got this award and you graduated from Auburn this year and you, you've been successful in your life and I'm so glad that I know you. And what will Bo Jackson say? I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. Some of you treat Psalm 23 as if assumptively because you know about Jesus that you know Jesus and that you know Yahweh because you know about Yahweh. And I'm telling you, the same thing Bo Jackson would say to you on a much grander scale, Jesus is going to say to you, I don't know who you are. You can know all the facts and have all the knowledge of the facts that you want to have, but the reality is if you don't have a relationship, you don't have anything. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore, I don't have any wants. I don't have any wants. I don't have any needs. And so we see the result of a personal shepherd. The result in the last half of verse 1 is that his people don't have needs. Or we could say his people are content. The mark of one who knows the Lord, knows Yahweh, as his personal shepherd is he is content with where God has him. In his life. Uh oh. It got all kinds of uncomfortable didn't it? Because so much of our lives are built up around a lack of contentment. We're not satisfied with where God has us. We're not happy with where we're at in life. We're not satisfied that God has given us all we need. We want more. As we look at this text, we come face to face with a personal shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Secondly, we see that Yahweh is a providing shepherd. He's a providing shepherd. He makes me, so what does he do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Let's take those quickly and look at them. Again, the personal idea continues, doesn't it? It transfers to talking about he, God, the shepherd, makes me. What does he make him do? Lie down in green pastures. When the shepherd took his sheep out into the pasture, you could know whether... I had a little booklet one time, and I looked for it all week, and I guess I loaned it to somebody. If you have my booklet on the shepherd, the personal role of the shepherd, please give it back. But anyway... Uh, matter of fact, if you have any of my books, just please give them back. <laughs> I really like my books. I love you, but I like my books. And some of them are missing, and that could be me, but I got a feeling it's some of you. So just, it's okay. You can anonymously do it. Just lay it on the front porch over there near my desk in the middle of the night. When I come in, the book's birthed right there at the door. Great. All right. So I looked for this book. I couldn't find it. <laughs> and obviously, I didn't really need it. But it was a book by a man who was talking about this ver this chapter because he was a shepherd and he talks in the book about the difference between his love for sheep and his sheep and his neighbor's love for sheep the neighbor's sheep and what he said was the view of the neighbor was that the neighbor viewed sheep as property to be bought and sold and slaughtered for his benefit and this person this shepherd didn't view it that way 
he viewed the sheep as, in a sense, members of his family. And so he nurtured them in green pastures. His, his neighbor, they scrounged around the best they could to find something to eat because they were only going to be here a limited time. He was done with them. He used them up and used them for what they were good for. And then he was finished. But this shepherd, he spoke of them so affectionately because they were his sheep. He viewed them as part of his family. And so he made sure his pastures were well fertilized and well watered and the grass was thick and luscious. And so they had something always to eat, the best of everything. That's what's going on here. The shepherd didn't lead his sheep out into wilderness to feed them. He made sure he provided green pastures for them to eat. So they didn't have to hunt and peck for food. It was all abundant around them. And this probably comes from David's experience as a shepherd, right? As a young man, he led his father's sheep to green pastures. He hunted and found, he would hunt and find the best place for the sheep to get the fattest, to get the most, the most uh, pleasing food. So that they would be nourished and they would grow. And so he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have any wants. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. In the safety and the security of green, well-watered pastures. Spiritually, we know what he means, don't we? God has provided for us green pastures where? In his word. The Bible says that the word of God is the bread of life. And on it, the people who feed on it will live. I mean, God has provided for us everything we need, Peter says, for life and practice. Everything we need is in the Word of God. God is a good shepherd. Yahweh has given us a four, five course, ten course, twenty course meal. You can't eat it all. If you and I studied the Word of God intently for relationship purposes with Jesus Christ, we could not exhaust it if we studied it a hundred years. As a matter of fact, it has been being studied for thousands of years and still not fully digested. These are green pastures. David wants the people of Israel to know the Lord is my shepherd and he has provided for me everything I need for my food. Not only for my food, but for my watering. One of the things that happens is my uncle just got in the shepherding business. He's been a cattle rancher and now he's a shepherd also and it's kind of strange, isn't it? They've, they've been at war all these years in the West. Now my uncle brings the two animals on the same ranch. He's a strange bird. But one of the things you have to have if you're going to have sheep is you have to have plenty of water. And it has to be water that's safe for them. Sheep are, are easily, um, easily confused and easily they, they can be caught up in disaster and destroyed. And so the shepherds in the Middle East in this time would take them to green pasture and they would lead them to still, not rushing water, not water that, that would be rapid and would, would harm them, but rather good for, for drinking. Jesus says in John 7 that his spirit is an eternal spring of water that springs up inside of those who believe and know him and it waters them to overflowing. This is the same thing going on here. So the shepherd makes sure, Jesus as our shepherd makes sure, Yahweh as our shepherd makes sure that we have plenty to eat in his word and plenty to water us in his spirit. And in this process of the word and the spirit, our souls are restored. Our souls are made whole again. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus that you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and spirit. Now, I'd have to do a lot of exegesis that you don't really have time for this morning. But when I talk through that text, you might remember, what did I say the water was? I believe it's the word of God. Why? Because texts like Ephesians 5 make it clear that we are washed with the water of the word to be made pure. And I believe that we are being born by the Spirit through the Word. And so it's the water of the Word and the Spirit that makes us whole again. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have any wants. He gives me plenty to eat from His Word, and He restores my soul through the Word and the Spirit. We have an intimate, personal shepherd who's caring for His sheep. The Lord is a personal shepherd. Yahweh is a providing shepherd. Next we see that Yahweh is a protecting shepherd. He's a protecting shepherd. 
There's a shift that goes on in this section of the, of the text. And you need to note it. He goes from speaking in I and me and talking about the shepherd as he to talking about him as you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In this part of the text, we see that this is the most personal. This is the most personal of the verses. And I don't think it's any mistake as to why this is. Because it's in these times of troubled times that we draw nearest to Christ, nearest to Yahweh. Listen, when everything's good and everything is prospering, we tend to forget God. We can be honest with each other, can't we? I mean, when the job's being successful and pay raises are coming regularly and our wife and we're getting along with her men, everything's going wonderful and she's giving me everything I need and I'm giving her what she needs and harmonious things are happening there and the children are all making straight A's and they're being obedient and everything's just good. Everybody's healthy. We tend to be very independent and self-focused, don't we? But when tough water comes, when the trial hits, where do we go? We go to God. We run to the one who we know can help us. And it's in the most dangerous of times and in the most difficult of times that we draw nearest to the shepherd. And so David, writing this psalm, says, you are with me. Not he, not, not, not even that distance, but the closest of relation. You are with me. Your rod and staff strengthen me and comfort me. And this valley of the shadow of death is a real thing, isn't it? And it's not a future thing. I don't want you to think that what he's talking about is the day you're going to die. No, what he's talking about is life. The valley of the shadow of death is life in this earth. Every day you're living in the valley of the shadow of death. Every day. Your journey, your pilgrimage, my pilgrimage as Christian believers is to walk every day through the most dangerous territory spiritually, isn't it? And physically and mentally. We're assaulted on all fronts. This valley is deep and the shadows are long. It's through this valley that John Bunyan took his character, Christian, right? Right through this valley. And the warning was, that though it was deep and though the shadows were long, he was safe. The shepherd was with him, was comforting him, was keeping him on the paths of righteousness. This valley, and, and we know this from, um, from again, from their era of, of time in their part of the world, shepherds often faced the, the idea of going through these valleys which were filled with wild beasts and animals and snakes and dangers for their sheep. They were easy for the sheep to get off from the flock and get caught up behind a rock or in some tight squeeze that couldn't get out. And so the shepherd had to be the most vigilant and the closest to his, his sheep. I read one account that said that the best way to lead them was to take a lamb, and maybe this is what Isaiah 40 is referring to, was to take a lamb, a little one, and to love it and comfort it and carry it through this valley. And as the one sheep was being carried, all of the sheep would follow him. To keep them close together and keep them united, the shepherd became the most intimate with them. And that's what's happening in sanctification in your life. You say, I don't like where I'm at. But it's where you're at that makes you close to the Lord. And I don't mean to make it trivial. It doesn't make it easy. Nobody's talking about easy. This is still a valley of a shadow of death. When you face disease, when you face discomfort, when you face the loss of loved ones, when you lose relationships, these are not easy times when you are persecuted for your faith. These are all troubling moments, right? But our shepherd is with us. And he says some very important things here. What is it? The rod and staff comfort me. Now, when I think about rod and staff in my life, those were always disciplinary terms, you know, really, or punishment terms, really. Um, you know, the rod in my house was across my backside, and I needed it. <laughs> Probably needed it more than I got it. But here, the rod and staff 
are the instruments by which the shepherd can make all of the sheep feel close to him. As they would go through the valley, the shepherd would reach and touch his sheep. He would just nudge them. He would just stroke them. He couldn't, he couldn't reach them all, so he had his instrument there. And as they would seem to be wandering, he would just, he would just keep them in line. His rod and staff, they comfort me. You notice it's not that he's scared of his shepherd. He knows his shepherd is with him, and he feels the rod and the staff, and it brings comfort to him. And we do that, don't we? We're going through life, and God's constantly nudging us. He's constantly touching us. He's constantly stroking us. And when we start to go the wrong way, the Spirit guides us back in. It's a comforting thing. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. That's the idea of the personal, providing, protecting shepherd. Yahweh, next, is an eternally good and merciful shepherd. If we look at the last two verses, we see that Yahweh, in this section, is seen to be eternally taking care of his sheep. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil so that my cup overflows. Here we get that in the ancient world, the oil often represented the Holy Spirit. I believe that's true here. So much so that our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit and then begin to overflow the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overruns. Surely goodness and mercy. That word mercy is loving kindness. Shall follow me all the days of my life. So he's at least a shepherd through this life. But look at the next phrase. And I shall dwell, live in the tabernacle, in the house of the Lord forever. So we see here that throughout lengths of days, we will dwell in the house of the Lord. We will return to dwell in the house of the Lord. So he is an eternally good and merciful shepherd. How could David know this about the Lord? How, how is it that David came to express himself this way about the shepherd? Well, there's a historical reason and a future reason. Again, in these Psalms, David's often looking back and looking forward. So I want to do that with you to end the sermon. What's the historical context for Psalm 23? Where does David get the idea of God as a shepherd and him being an intimate shepherd of, the, of, of Israel or of him? Take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 12. It's, this is where the truths and the comfort can become Frightening in a sense. In Exodus chapter 12 we see that the people of Israel in the belly of Egypt are commanded by God to do something very strange. He's poured out his plagues on the people of Egypt. He's come to the tenth plague which will be the death of the firstborn son of everyone in Egypt. And then the Lord says this, the Lord tells Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, so they're still in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each one, each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. 
It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. He goes on to tell Israel, this will be a day of memorial. You shall do this all the time. And he, he tells them that the, de- the destroyer is coming into the land. And then in verse 26 he says, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. What's going on in this text? What's going on is the shepherd of the flock of Israel is delivering them from, the, from death in Egypt. And before he does that, he says, look, I want you to prepare a feast. Now that's an odd command, wouldn't you agree? God's about to pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn sons of Egypt. And he tells his people, I want you to have a party. I want you to kill a lamb, which was one of the most precious commodities in all of Israel. For a shepherd, a lamb is important. It's a future. He says, take that. You didn't just kill them frivolously. Take that lamb and kill it and put its blood out as a symbol to me that you trust me. And then eat every bit of that lamb. Have a feast for your households. Now, the picture we have for us is that all of Egypt is mourning, wailing, weeping, crying out. And all of Israel in the land of Goshen is celebrating. Do you see the contrast? In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. What historical event did David look back at? There were many in his own life, but he could look back to the fathers and say, this is how God did for his people in the past. He prepared a feast and a banquet for them in the presence of their enemies. And then he called them to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil, because God was with them. It continues, Exodus 13, 17 through 22. God delivers his people from Egypt, and then he becomes a personal guide to them, like a shepherd to a flock. 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up into the land of Egypt for battle, equipped for battle, uh, the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Like a shepherd, you led your people through the wilderness. David's drawing on the history of his people saying, the Lord's my shepherd. He guides and directs me, and I know he does it because he did it in their day. He cast a feast out before them and said, feast in the presence of your enemies. He did it in the valley of the shadow of death. And then he led them through the the wilderness like a shepherd with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 14, God leads them right through the Red Sea. I mean, it doesn't get any more, uh, more dramatic than this. And he delivers them through that sea and he destroys their enemies so that in Exodus 15, 22 through 27... He then begins to provide for them water. And in Exodus 16, he provides for them bread. See, God is a good shepherd. David had confidence in God because it was historically true that God led his people and provided for his people. David trusted in the word of God and the actions of God. And he believed that God would do the same for him. But he didn't stop there, I don't think. That's not where we should stop at least. We should go on farther because it's not enough that God did it for Israel and God did it for David. But how can we be certain that he will do it for us? Because in John 10, we come face to face with the best and greatest application 
of our text in Psalm 23. In John 10, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep bowl by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What he has brought out, all, when he has brought out all his sheep of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, this metaphor, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now that's astounding to me. They've got Psalm 23. They've got it memorized. It's in, it's in their Rolodex, I'm certain. And he says this and they're confused. What in the world could Jesus be talking about? So Jesus goes on. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. So he's the way into the sheepfold. You can't come into the flock of the sheep of the shepherd unless you come through Jesus. He's the only way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Jesus is the entrance into the flock. Okay, I got that. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And what will he do? He will go out. He will come in and he will find pasture. Green pasture. Uh, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. You didn't get it when I told you, so I'm going to tell you again. Psalm 23 is about me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand doesn't do that. He, he doesn't own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves. The sheep, and, and, and he flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have a, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says in the clearest of terms, Psalm 23 is about me. And it's about my sheep. And it's not just about the sheep that I have in Israel, but it's about the sheep that I have from other flocks that will come and be part of this one flock. And they will come the same way you come, Israel. They will come through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the door to the sheepfold. If you want into the flock, you come through Jesus by faith. That's the only way you get in. And once you're in, you are led by one shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's not a hired hand. When the thieves came and the robbers came, they fled when, the, when danger came. But Jesus didn't flee. In the face of the cross, in Psalm 22, he stood and was forsaken by his Father and he died. He laid down his life for his sheep. He didn't die indiscriminately. He died for his sheep. He died as a good shepherd to his flock. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So there was a great division. Some said he was, had a demon. Others said that he was oppressed by a demon. Can, it, can a demon? And then others said, can a demon open the blind man's eyes? And so the leaders of the Jews are gathered around and he, they ask a question in verse 24 that many of you may be asking. You may be asking this very question this morning. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, Jesus, tell us plainly. And Jesus said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. When I said that this is a personal psalm for a personal Savior, that's exactly what I mean. If he's not your personal Savior, you're not a part of his flock. If you're not a part of his flock, you don't hear his voice. You don't know him. And Jesus says that is because you are not of his flock. Now, that's important. Words mean something. Words in their order mean something. And verse 26 is crucial to understanding that, that some are in the flock and some are not. And why are they not? You do not believe because you are not part of my flock. 
It's not, you're not part of my flock because you don't believe. Notice the order. It's because you are not of my flock that you don't believe. You don't belong to me, so you don't believe in me. You see, it's not that everybody's in and then some people exempt themselves out. It's that everybody's out. The only ones who come in are those who come through Jesus. And they come by belief. How did they get there? Because they're part of his flock. And when they heard his voice, they came to him. My sheep hear my voice and they know. And, I fo- and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so we see the fullest understanding of Psalm 23 is not back in Exodus, and it's not in Psalm 23, but it's rather in John 10, where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and you who believe in me are my sheep. And if that's all we had, we could say amen, and we could go home comforted, but it's not all we have. This same writer of the Gospel of John in Revelation chapter 7 writes something very Very amazing, hope-giving. Revelation 7, verse 9. John, the one who wrote the words that Jesus spoke in John 10, he's writing here the things that he's seeing. And this is what he says. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. This is the church gathered at the throne of the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Truth, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the chorus that was sung in Revelation 5. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. These are the ones coming out of life, persecuted. This life of persecution and death and destruction and disease, these are the ones that are before the throne. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them in His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Psalm 23, He takes me into the green pastures and He leads me beside the still waters. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen, He's not just a shepherd for today when we're suffering in persecution and disease and struggle, but He is our shepherd forever. And there's coming a day When you're in his flock, when he will close it down and say, these are my people, and we will praise him before his throne, and part of that praise will be him wiping away all that we have suffered. Don't you long for that day when you can lay your head against his breast as that little lamb and say, you have made all the promises of God, yes and amen. He's not just a shepherd that's personal, and providing, and protecting, but He is an eternal shepherd. If you're in His flock, you'll never be out of His flock. He will forever be our shepherd. And the waters that He leads us by will be eternally good. And the pasture that we eat from will fill our soul to the full. And we will live life abundantly. I long for that day. I know the shepherd that will get me to that day. And I'm begging you, if you don't know him, to know him. You're living life in a valley of a shadow. Except for you, that shadow is growing bigger and bigger every day. And there's a day where it will overcome you. And it will destroy you. 
And I'm calling you to an eternal shepherd that will never, never leave you nor forsake you. He will guide you through that valley and He will bring you to green pastures forever. Now how can you know Him? We sometimes complicate this point and I want to make it very plain. We have a lot of children. We have people that are experienced with the Bible and those who are not. I want to make it plain to you. You know Him by simply believing, casting yourself on Him, trusting in Him. That's what it means. You say, how can you say that? You just told us there are some that are in and some that are not. Well, because I don't know. No one knows except God who will believe and who will not. I don't know that. So I make a very simple plea to you today. Believe in Christ. Cast yourself on Him. Just simply say, I have no hope but Him. I have no hope but Him. If He's not the shepherd, I don't have a shepherd. If He can't take me to green pastures, there are no green pastures. If He can't take me to still waters, no hope for me. I'll drown or I'll thirst forever. He's my only hope. Just cry out to Him in simplicity. He says, this good shepherd says, all that come to me, I will by no means cast out. That's the comfort of the rod and the staff. I won't cast you away. So I plead, and if you're in his flock, I just simply say, keep holding him. Keep holding to him as he holds you. Keep believing. Don't substitute anything else between you and him. Not your family, not your job, not your abilities, not your, not your health. Don't substitute anything in between you and your shepherd. Keep all those things away. He's the only one who will keep you in the valley of the shadow of death. Don't let yourself be divided. Stay with Him. He will stay with you. Stay with Him. Be faithful to the one who is faithful and true. And so the call is for both, saved and lost. Those who are in the flock, those who are coming into the flock, come. Come to Him and buy bread without price and drink water that will satisfy your soul.